to be a mom is a little bit like death. You've got to sacrifice who you are. <laughs> Title for the episode right there. You have to give up who you were to That's be bad successful. advertising. I'll just tell you. everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Podcast. This is episode 21. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Sherilyn Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And I'm Adrian Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. This is a very special episode, and we have somehow managed to convince our wives to be on the show. So thank you <laughs> to Sherilyn and Adrian for being with us. Thanks for having thanks us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so we're going to be talking on this episode about comparison. Problems that come about when we compare ourselves to other people or the way that we deal with feeling like we're being compared to. But before we get into that conversation, we're going to kick off the episode with a Jesus Said segment. And this time it's coming from Adrian. All right, I got it. It's from Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What do you guys think? You know me too well. I need to have this scripture plastered to my forehead every day. <laughs> Anxiety and I are best friends. I think you know that. <laughs> I think that's kind of true for most women would say that that's just always playing in the back of their heads of what about tomorrow? What am I going to do? What am I going to make for dinner? What are we going to eat? That's just the common thread in the back of my head. But sometimes you can plan and look to the future to your own detriment, right? Mm -hmm. Like with this verse specifically, what is your priority? I mean, I can spend a lot of time worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to be doing tomorrow. But verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So everything I'm doing and everything I'm focusing on needs to be prioritized by that whole idea of seeking God first. As a parent of small children, I'm sure you guys, all of us can agree, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and the idea that tomorrow gets anxious for itself. You know? Tomorrow is going to be worrying all on its own without you doing the worrying for it. Right. I think it's interesting how it shows us the difference between us as Christians and the Gentiles. It's saying we should not be like them. That's a distinction. If we're seeking after those things, we've already pulled ourselves away from being like Christ. We're being more like the world and the Gentiles, which is said in other parts of this book, that we don't want to be like the world. We want to be imitators of Christ. Before this, he's just gotten done talking about how you can look to these other examples of the lilies of the field and all of these birds and the grass and all the things that God takes care of. And you see how much he's taken care of them. And we are certainly more worthy than those things. And if he takes care of those small things, he should take care of us because he loves us so much. Do you think sometimes we kind of have this forgetful nature about how much God has taken care of us in the past? Absolutely. I think that I'm always being reminded of it when I talk to someone else about my anxieties. 
And I go to Ryan and I say, I'm really anxious about this. I'm really worried. And he's like, okay, did he take care of you last time? What happened last time? A situation similar was going on. Did God forget about you? (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) Okay. Well, what are you going to do? And I think that part of seeking first is to talk to him, to pray to him. What's worse than forgetting that God has taken care of us is thinking God has forgotten that we need these things. And so Jesus also reminds us of that part, you know, like, oh, you need clothes. You need to eat today. I I meant to get Adrian and Ryan some groceries this week, but God remembers what we need. It didn't slip his mind, Jesus says. You know, your prayers are not reminding him He doesn't have a list keeping track of it. He knows what you need. You will receive what you need. That's so funny that you said it like that, because I could totally hear me saying that to our kids. (laughs) Oh, did you think I forgot you were hungry, that you needed dinner? Oh, did you think that? Like, really? I'm not going to feed you today? Okay, just slow your roll. That's okay. Calm down, everybody. I have got this. When you're a parent, you really realize the parallels of God being our father. He has got to be the most patient being that we could ever possibly deal with in our lives. I do not have the patience that God has with us. I think you're exactly right. So let's get into this conversation about comparison. Have you ever felt the pressure of comparison that you were being compared to by other people or that Maybe you were tempted to compare yourself to other people? Never. (laughs) (laughs) I think that with the coming of Facebook, it just makes it extremely easy to do every single day when you go on there and see a picture of, oh, we went to the zoo or the museum or look how smart my kids are. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. my kids aren't at that stage of reading yet. They're not at that stage of learning or behavior or Look, all of their hair is combed and they look actually groomed. Wow. (laughs) What would that be like all at the same time? Um, So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that comparison is just a ripe fruit on a tree to pick every single day. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's necessarily in my situation. I know I don't feel like anyone is doing that to me. I'm the one doing it. (laughs) I am. uh, Is that no? (laughs) But I feel like I'm the one comparing myself to others. Like you said, nitpicking. Like my family doesn't have pictures like that. Why can't my family have pictures like that? Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of things. And yeah, super dangerous. Do you want to tell the story about the lawn? The lawn. Yes. (laughs) The infamous lawn. Oh, (laughs) no. So... As you all know, I take great, great pride in my taking care of my lawn and my plants. We are currently killing our front lawn. Purposefully. (laughs) Purposely. (laughs) Because we're about to have turf put in. But we happen to have a men's Bible study at our house on Sunday and a girl's Bible study at our house Sunday afternoon. So we're going to have a lot of people filtering in and out. And I told Brian that I said, now, before you have your men's study, you have to explain that our yard looks like this because we are (laughs) killing it on purpose. So, I mean, these are the things that go through my head and I know it's totally crazy, but 
why am I worried about that? What is our focus? If people are coming to look at my yard, then that's our problem, right? They're going to be seriously disappointed. <laughs> They're here to study the Bible. So yeah, I'm, I'm just crazy sometimes about things like that. I think the thing that most moms here deal with is the whether or not to do homeschool or public school and what that says about you mm-hmm. as a mom. I can't help feeling that I am not good enough where I am right now because my kids aren't in homeschool. I can't do it. I feel completely overwhelmed with two little babies at home to feel like I could keep up with the demands of teaching my kids how to read and write, which is stuff that really requires personal attention. But I still feel that way that I've made the wrong decision or if I were better, I would be having them homeschooled. And that's really hard to deal with. Probably half the congregation here homeschool. And that was something that we did the first year. And so we prayed about it a lot. We like the idea of homeschooling in some ways. We like a lot of things about public school. And it has been so the best thing for us for so many reasons. I think it's a a disconnect between logic and emotion. And you have to bring the logic back in that, of course, a nursing mom of a runaround toddler, you know, that's going to be really challenging to be sitting there trying to corral, you know, all these kids as they're climbing on your face. Like that might not be the best time to engage in a homeschool activity like that. But either one I think is fine. I think that leads us to where are you now? What are you supposed to be doing right now that God's calling you to? Have you felt that way? Did you ever have that doubt of public school or homeschool? I didn't because my child would go nuts being at home. <laughs> she is, so would mom. And so would I. Yeah. <laughs> That's another conversation, Brian. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't struggle with that because Ashlyn wants to be out and about and constantly mm-hmm. going. So I knew for sure that she would not do well in a homeschool setting. And I, I wouldn't do well in a homeschool setting for the same reasons, but also because I have a hard time keeping a schedule when I'm at home. I feel like I do much better when I have somewhere I have to be and or somewhere she has to be outside of the house. So I would not get a lot done probably for different reasons than you, but I never thought that it would be the right situation for her. And I think that that whole conversation about public education versus homeschool education really depends on the family and it Mm -hmm. depends on the kids. Some kids are just going to do better away from their moms and dads for a little while. And I know that's terrifying. And now that we've been in a public school for three years, I can tell you it is terrifying. Some of the things (laughs) that our kids, even at a young age, are exposed to. But if you decide to use those moments as teaching moments, it can be a really valuable experience, even for a seven or eight year old learning how to be around kids who might have different beliefs than you or different abilities than you and learning that you're not the best at everything. (laughs) There's always going to be someone better than you at something. So for us, it was not even a discussion, but I definitely understand your pull. But you, you said you tried it for a year, right? Yeah, actually, I think it was a, I would say a couple of years, but okay. at that age at like three, four, five, you're able to make anything homeschool. It's when you have to start sure. reading and writing and practice phonics that you're like, Ooh, 
We didn't cover that at all today. Okay. Yeah. We'll come back to it tomorrow. Full force. Oh, we didn't do it today either. <laughs> so yeah. that was the hard part was coming to that decision. But I think that you're right. It's per kid. It's per family, per situation. Anna would do great at public school. She came back like a whiz at reading now. And I don't think that could have happened with our personalities mm-hmm. together. But I think Asher would be fine. But then again, I don't think I would be fine with him running around the house all day, you know, waking up the babies during nap time. So, you know, give and take. I do wonder, Sherilyn, about a different topic that might be closer to you guys, which is being a stay-at-home mom versus a working outside the home mom. (laughs) Was that a place where you felt any type of comparison from people or yourself? Comparison, no. I'll start with this. I have been blessed to have the perfect job for our family because I'm at Ashland School. I'm not quite full-time. Right now, I'm just doing an instructional assistant position, so I don't have to go to meetings. I don't have to do all that after-school stuff, grading, all of that I don't have to worry about. So luckily, I've put myself in a situation where I can be out of the house, I can earn a little bit of money and not be so strapped for time and attached to that job. But I will tell you that now that I've worked for three years, the comparison I didn't really feel like I needed to work. Like people were looking at me like she needs to go do something with her time now. I didn't feel that at all. But now that I am working, I feel like I'm missing out on something. And again, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. anybody looking at me and comparing or, but I see friends doing things together who have younger kids still at home or, you know, I wish I could be doing that right now. So I wouldn't call it regret, but I definitely feel like I miss out on things and compare my crazy schedule to, to other people's crazy schedule. I wish that sometimes I could be in on those lunch dates or those play dates, you know, Yeah. but when you look at the other side of it, I get to be at Ashland school and I get to see who she's friends with ever so often. And I get to see her play and I get to know the teachers. So it definitely has its advantages. What about you? How, how do you feel about staying at home all the time? Do you ever feel like you could run away and get a job? <laughs> Oh boy. I, well, I'm a homebody to begin with. So I love being at home. It's just a little trickier when everybody's at home at the same time that I start to feel like I'm climbing the walls a little bit. And Ryan has combated that every Monday. He tries to give me two hours, 100% alone, take all four kids out of the house and I've taken up watercolor and that's just been my refreshing time, a chance for me to become myself again, become a human instead of a mom or a wife. And that's been nourishing for me, but I loved high school teaching, being a high school teacher. And I love the ability to tell people what to do and they would actually (laughs) mostly listen or their grade was affected. They obey. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't like repeating myself as much in the same way that I do now, but Mm-hmm. I don't think I would get the satisfaction that I get from being a mm-hmm. stay-at-home mom. Like you said, knowing what your kids are doing, knowing what they're learning for the most part. I do feel like I have to justify my time a lot because it's not the same as getting a paycheck. So if right. I'm home, I feel like I need to prove myself. So when Ryan comes home, I give him like the laundry list of every single thing that I've done as if he actually... Mm cares to know he, he, you know, he knows I'm running the house. He knows I've got this, right? 
but I feel that need to justify my time. And probably that is an idea of comparison. Is my time worth being here or not? Yeah. Am I contributing as much as my husband is contributing? I know that's something that I felt like when I was home, I was home for five years with Ashlyn. And I know that was something that I, that crossed my mind occasionally. And, And I did the same thing. I would give the list of things that this is what I did today. Look Mm -hmm. what I did. I'm so great. Look, (laughs) please tell me I'm great, Brian, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you are, when you're home with little ones, your world becomes kind of small and the things that you see and the things that you fuss about and worry about when I try to talk to Brian about that, you know, he's been out and working and I, in my mind, it seems so small and trivial and it to him, you know, why am I telling him about these things? He doesn't care about how I wiped the toilet today. That's not (laughs) a big deal, but I definitely can see what you're saying. Do you feel like sometimes there is a push within the church even to stay at home with kids or judgment there if you choose not to stay at home with children? That's a good question. I think most of the people here kind of do what you do. Like one of our ladies, she has teenage sons, but she works at their cafeteria. So she gets to see them. But a lot of moms, I think, are fortunate to stay home. I don't know. Maybe that's just my circle of friends that I see that a lot of them are homeschoolers. Mm -hmm. I think the bigger thing that I have in the back of my head is being the preacher's wife. That that is a lot of unspoken internal judgment of people thinking, I don't know, I think that they're thinking she should be at this event. Why aren't they here? Why aren't they going to this ladies Bible study today? People are very, very kind here. So I don't want to say that they've said anything to me, but it is that idea in the back of my mind of, am I doing what is best or Is there a different option? Is this the right time? Those are constant questions I'm always asking myself. What is it time for right now? And can I give myself that grace right now? And sometimes I'm really hard on myself. And sometimes I think I've got a pretty good handle on it, but that changes day to day. Yeah, I have the same experience. There are times on weekends, our weekends are very busy. Brian's getting things ready for services on Sunday. And I, a lot of times, one of my side gigs is cleaning the church building. So I'm up there. The only time I have to clean the church building is Saturday. So our Saturdays are full and busy. And sometimes the only time that we have together is a Saturday night or a Sunday night. And that's when a lot of things happen when a lot of get togethers happen and a lot of, like you said, Bible studies happen. And I hear you. There are times that I just have to say, no, this is time that I need to spend with my family. And I definitely have the thought in the back of my mind that people are saying, where are the Sheelys? Where is Shirley? And I really think a lot of that is in my head. I don't think that actually this is a conversation that's going on, but we do this to ourselves. We feel guilty for not going. Mm -hmm. It can be crippling really. If you wallow in that guilt and you wallow in the thoughts that people might be judging you, it can really just change your attitude in a not very good way. It reminds me of the story of Hannah from first Samuel where she really wanted a child, but she couldn't have one. And this was a weird situation, you know, back in the old Testament where her husband also had another wife who was having babies. Like there was no tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And she is in this rivalry with this other wife and she is causing her attitude to just completely change. She shut down. She stopped eating. And when she comes to her husband, 
he says, am I not worth more than 10 sons? And I think her answer is like, nope. no, <laughs> you are not. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty natural just to see these people who have things around us, but then not have that same thing and want it and desire it. There's not a whole lot of people doing homeschool here. So I don't think we have as much of a pull as that might be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But I do know, like for us, having one child, that is something that I think we've kind of dealt with in our own lives is like, well, we have one child, but, you know, here are these other people who have two, three, four five kids. And that feeling of like, are we really parents because we only have <laughs> yes. one child? I mean, that, I, mean I know Most we are. Definitely. But. <laughs> Yeah, the having one child, that was not in our plans. We always wanted to have more. You know, how do you get to that point of contentment and of not comparing yourself to other families who have two and three and four kids? It's a challenge for us, for sure. It's funny how so much of our comparison, we talk about it like it's comparison to others, and a lot of times it is. But a lot of times for us, it's comparison to our own imaginary standards, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, you had a particular plan and God had a different plan. So, you know, how do you argue with that? And right. we had that same experience with, you know, like every decision, especially when you're a first time parent, you are going to do it like, not like those other people, you're going to do it the right <laughs> way. you know. <laughs> and so, I mean, that went all the way back to even the birth of our first child. We had a whole plan of how it was going to be done, you know. And God laughed at God us. laughed at us. Yeah. And our heart, especially your heart, Adrian, I think was broken at first. Like, we're going to do it right. And it's not the way I wanted it. And then it was like realizing there's not a right way. Some things there's a moral right way, but so many things, especially in parenting and the way we set up these artificial standards, there's dozens of right ways. Yeah, absolutely. I had to learn that experience and it was painful, but I think that that's how we grow the most is through pain, through trials. And then we cling to God and say, what do you want me to get out of this? What am I supposed to learn? And for us, God said, not only are you going to have two children, but surprise, here's another one. <laughs> and then quickly, here's another one. So even though you think you can't do it, I know you can. He just changes our world all the time. You said some of it's in our head, but there are times where I have had someone say to me something where I'm sure they felt like they put their foot in their mouth and said something kind of hurtful. How do you deal with those type of foot and mouth conversations with people. Yeah. I try very, very hard to assume the best in any comment I might get from someone, whether or not it's their intention. Mm -hmm. I try to assume that they are either they don't know what to say in that moment or they are trying to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I just try to keep a positive outlook on it and assume that they are doing their best. <laughs> Yeah, We talked about it on the last episode about how understanding Sherilyn is. And if I could toot her horn as she's sitting here next to me, she does that enough with me to have mastery at it. So. I would agree. She's great. I like her. I, try. <laughs> I think it's good to have that person in your life to help you realize, am I being too sensitive about this? What is another way I could have taken that? Because sometimes I, I'm too close to it. I'll smile to your face and go home and cry to Ryan. Mm -hmm. You know, this really hurt my feelings. 
I have no idea how they meant it. And he'll be like, did you ask them? No, I'm not going to let them know. You know, it's not a mature way to handle it sometimes to just go home and brood about it. My favorite phrase is, what did you mean by that? Mm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to misunderstand what someone is saying to me. Even my child, I will ask her, what did you mean by that? So that I can have a better understanding of what she's trying to communicate to me. And I think that's biblically supported. If you have a question about someone, if someone has done something to you, we're told to go to them about it, ask them about it. That's a lot easier said than done sometimes, for sure, especially when feelings have been hurt or there's been not so nice words exchanged. But when you do have the opportunity to talk to that person or ask them for clarification. It's a weight lifted off of your shoulders. Yeah, we've been studying through Ecclesiastes lately here, and there's a passage that this makes me think of. It's Ecclesiastes 7, and in verse 20, there's this principle, and it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. lest you hear your servant curse you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, just realizing there's not a perfect man. Oh yeah. And that includes me. And oh yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember that time I put my foot in my mouth and I think I'm going to have a little bit of patience with other people when they do it. And it's easier said than done, but that's a really helpful principle, I think. For sure. There's a passage about comparison where Paul takes The group of people that he's part of, where he feels people comparing him and considering him inferior, and he adds the word super to it (laughs) in verse five. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And, (laughs) you know, like I think we could take the word super and put it in front of whatever category you consider yourself part of. You know, I am not in the least inferior to these super moms. Yeah. The super Christians out there there are on patrol and they're going to make sure everybody knows where they stand. And Paul says, look, you know who I am. I'm not going to commend myself. You've seen how I worked. You've seen who I am. I am not going to compare myself by myself. He says in the chapter before God is the standard. Jesus is the standard. That's not how we measure ourselves. Yeah. I think that if we compare ourselves with man, we forget who we're supposed to be serving and comparing ourselves to. In Galatians 1.10, it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's something I try to do as an avoidance of comparison is, what should I be doing right now with my time? Should I be on here scrolling on Facebook, comparing myself to all these other people, or should I be a servant of Christ actually serving and working and minding my business? Do you think we can help create a culture of acceptance within our group of friends where we're not going to contribute to that kind of comparison? We're not going to gossip about people. We're not going to sit around and talk about how we're better than other people. I mean, I feel like there's opportunities for us in serving Christ to be this kind of anti-comparison type person where we're creating peace between people rather than trying to create divisions. 
One of the things that came to mind was the idea of gratitude, that God gives us the tools. And one of them is gratitude, um, being thankful for what you have, being thankful that God made someone else different from you so they can fill in the gaps of where you're lacking, go to that person and tell them life-giving words. Mm. You're doing a great job as a mom. You inspire me. Instead of saying, she is such a good mom, I want to tear her down (laughs) to make myself feel better, going instead to her and saying, I noticed how you go on these field trips with your kids, and I just think that's amazing. I wish that I had that talent, and I honor that in you. That is building each other up. That's making each other feel whole instead of being torn apart piece by piece. Yeah, there is so much power in having people around you who are willing to talk about those kinds of things. I know I have felt that way in our friendship. You have built me up several times when I needed it most. And there is a lot of power in surrounding yourself with people who are builders, who don't relish in tearing people down, tearing you down but are willing to talk about it and share those things that they appreciate about you and positively reinforcing those good deeds that you see. It's so small, but so, so powerful. I 100% agree. I think gratitude is one. Appreciation is another tool. The other one is just being in the word all the time, letting the word dwell in us. I try to have a podcast that I go to besides your guys' amazing podcast. I listened to one called Mom on Purpose by Jess Connell. I went through that like in a heartbeat. There's only a few episodes. Every day I came out with something to work on. I also like the version devotionals. There's a lady called Lisa Tikursky. I'm probably saying that wrong, but she tells it to you straight and is like, get on it, woman. So just being in the word, having... That connection to God, I think, helps to refocus our world onto seeking first, to go back to the Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God, to pull us away from that desire of comparison. Right. One of my favorite verses, and this happens to be Ashlyn's favorite verse as well, is Philippians 4, 8. And it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if we're filling our lives with these things, there will not be room for the negativity that can sneak in sometimes. Focus on the good things. Focus on what God has done for us and our family. Focus on what God is doing for others and really try to keep those positive things in my mind and not let those doubts and those comparisons and the anxieties creep in because there's no room for them when I'm focused on those things. Oh, that's good. I like that. There's no room for them. I'm going to have to push that in my vocabulary. There is no room for that right now. No room for that. Ain't nobody got got time time for that. that. (laughs) (laughs) I do think comparison is the thief of joy that you lose your joy Mm -hmm. when you're thinking only on the negative. So that's great. Do you think too, when, especially being the parents of daughters, do you think this is something that little girls grow up Mm -hmm. when you all were young? Was this something that you guys struggled with? (laughs) (laughs) Not one bit. I think it is in our makeup as girls and eventually young ladies and women to be this way. God gave us that desire to want to be pretty and to want to do good things. But sometimes we can take it a little too far. And 
I think absolutely thinking about Ashlyn growing up, she's not quite there yet, but pretty soon she's going to start seeing the magazines and the things that are in commercials and on TV and her friends at school. And absolutely, you do start to compare. Well, look, she's wearing mascara today. My mom doesn't let me wear mascara (laughs) yet. That was a conversation we had, by the way, when I was a kid. (laughs) Uh, But I think for sure that this is a challenge and even more so today because we do have social media and it scares me to death to think how some of the kids are affected greatly by what they see on social media and in comparing themselves to other kids. Their brains aren't ready for that. I don't Mm -hmm. think our brains are ready for that either. But (laughs) but especially, you know, developing brains, they're not ready to process what's real and what's not. Yeah, it terrifies me. What about you, Adrian? Oh, oh. She was a teenager. Anna was a teenager before. <laughs> she hit like three years old and with her eye rolls and her mm-hmm. when do I get a cell phone? Um, you don't. You don't need a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Other people have this. Does that mean I get to have that? No. Well, right. what if we were rich? If we were rich, would I get to have that? Would I get to have a maid do my chores? <laughs> No, you would still have to do your chores. Why? Because there are principles I want you to understand. There are character traits I want you to have that this is why we do the things we do. It's not without purpose. Mm -hmm. I brought up something with Ryan on the car right here when I was listening to your podcast from before that he said, yeah, our vacation was great. And I was like, oh, So is that how we're presenting it? And he was like, well, I didn't need to get into everything. I was like, so you're not going to tell people that pretty much everyone had the stomach flu? That you were vomiting the whole time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's that idea of the things you don't see. Yes, we went on vacation and yes, it was still great. But yes, we also had the stomach flu. So you probably don't (laughs) want our vacation. Ryan, I think you just got called out, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got corrected there. It was a wonderful vacation. It was. We got to be together. If you guys want more details about the vomiting, we can go into that, though. No. I think, though, it is really an important point to know that all this stuff on Facebook and social media and anything that we portray, like nobody wants to talk about all the bad stuff that's going on. They just want to put out there the good stuff that's going on. And we've kind of created a culture maybe of unreal expectations just by only highlighting the positive. We're doing a Bible study with some of the girls here. We meet with the middle school and high school aged girls about once a month. And right now we're reading a book called Backwards Beauty by Jesse Manassian, I think is how you pronounce it. But the book is called Backwards Beauty, How to Feel Ugly in 10 Simple Steps. Oh, yeah. And each chapter starts with basically a lie that we tell ourselves. It's really been helpful to, first of all, read it for myself because I get a lot out of it because I am even now at 38 years old, still struggling with some of these You just told people your age. (gasps) I know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I, I mean, I've been around a long time and I'm still having issues with some of these things. One of the things we talked about in our last study was exactly what Brian was talking about with looking at social media or pictures that we see in advertisements and everything. And everything looks so perfect. Mm-hmm. And we spend so much time and money and effort in getting this perfect look 
they call it the look in this chapter. Mm -hmm. And there are so many better ways to spend our time and our money and our effort. And coming to embrace that is really hard. My sister got me a subscription for People Magazine, and I was looking through the back of it, and it shows all these moms who have just had babies, and here's how they got their body back. And I'm like, mm, okay, <laughs> looking in the mirror, I don't look like that. I don't look like anywhere near having my body back, but I don't mm -hmm. think I'm supposed to is what I'm trying to embrace that to be a mom is a little bit like death. You've got to sacrifice who you are. <laughs> Title for the episode right there. You have to give up who you were to That's be bad successful. advertising. I'll just tell you, you have to have death to be a Christian. Also, you die to self and you take on what's more important than the outward appearance. And I know that the people who matter to me most don't care about my outward appearance or how much money I make or how educated I am or my kids are, that what matters to them is who I am and my soul and my mm -hmm. impact that I can make on the world in service mm -hmm. to God. And we talked about that in our study with the girls is what is your intention for dressing the way you're dressing, doing mm -hmm. what you're doing? Because there's nothing wrong with spending money on makeup. That's not what, what we were saying. But, mm -hmm. you know, what is your intention behind wearing something that might questionably be modest or immodest? Mm -hmm. Um we have to remember that, like you said, we are kind of like ambassadors. We represent God. It's like when we go outside and we tell our kids, you are a Sheely. You are representing mm -hmm. the Sheely family. You need to make sure you're on your best behavior and, and doing the best you can. How do we want to present ourselves to especially unbelievers who we might seem really different to? Mm -hmm. So I call this the modesty meltdown. In Target the other day, Ashlyn and I were going with her grandma to a water park here in town. And I had told her before we left the house, she wanted a new bathing suit. And I had told her, you can have a new bathing suit, but whatever you get, we are going to get shorts or a skirt to go over that bathing suit mm -hmm. because we are going to be in a public place and you don't want to show things that you don't want to show. Mm -hmm. She had in her mind that she did not want to wear shorts and she did not want to wear skirts. And we all know our child. Mm -hmm. She has in her mind something she is not going to budge. It's nope. very difficult to get her to budge and to understand. So basically we had the head to head in Target and she got very upset and started to cry. And when it came down to it, after all the tears, she found one and she agreed on a pair of shorts and we tried it on and then they didn't even work anyway because it didn't fit her. But how do you explain to an eight-year-old that modesty is so very important? And that's why we try to start young with her Mm -hmm. So that it's just automatic. But even then, you know, she already sees her friends have these cute bathing suits and they look so cute, mom. I want to look like that. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge to get your little ones to understand that we do have to be careful about the decisions we make. Do you guys feel like it's complicated to try to instill a standard, but still have the kids and ourselves be compassionate to people who don't meet the standard. It's like this weird, delicate balance where like Anna has mm -hmm. been, it's like drilled into her to where she looks at people on TV or around. That's not modest. That's not modest. 
And it's like, okay, I'm glad you know, but like, we don't want our whole life to be consumed with looking at other people and judging them, you know, Mm -hmm. and comparing them and and just that's delicate for us. And then that just gets highlighted and how complicated, how do you deal with that when you're teaching kids this kind of balance? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have an idea about that. It doesn't always work. But one thing I say is their mother must have not told them what to wear that day. (laughs) Or they must not listen to their mother like they should. (laughs) Is what I usually say about something like that. But also, everybody in the world does things that God doesn't want them to do. And we're all trying to keep doing what's right. And so it's up to us to shine God's light and his love and explain those things to those people, you know, so let's have compassion and show grace to them rather than pointing it out to them as if that's all that they are is this thing that they do or this thing that they wear, because we know that they're more than that. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. We all are going to do things that we regret. And uh, that is included in your bathing suit choice for the day. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the title for the episode, your bathing suit choice for the day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get into the challenge for this week. Sherilyn, let's hear the challenge. Mm, Just from personal experience, we've received a few cards from some people who you wouldn't even really expect to hear from. That we're just saying thank you for your hard work. And we know that we notice, we see it, we know it's happening even behind the scenes. So I think that would be a really good challenge to reach out to someone that you don't know really well. Challenge yourself to reach out to them and look for something positive that they're doing. I think that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for being with us. The four of us together again. The way it should be. Yes. The only thing missing is spaghetti. oh i'm hungry now all right everyone thank you so much for tuning into the bible geeks podcast you can find us on our website at biblegeeks.fm we'll have links to some of the things that we talked about in our show notes you can go to biblegeeks.fm slash 21 you can also follow along with us on social media we are slash the bible geeks wherever you might find us and until next week everyone may the lord bless you and keep you shalom thank you our ladies and gentlemen bye